And to me, just hands down, learning is the future of work. That's just put a period on that. That's how I feel about this. We've entered this era where there's continuous rapid change. It just keeps coming for us. And the only way that we can sort of ride those changes or rise to them is through continuous learning. Don't conduct your analysis in isolation because data is so incredibly powerful. Not defending just the tribe, but defending the organization. Those creative people that you really want to keep empowered, keep excited, keep motivated, keep thinking. A good experience pays dividends down the line. Stereotypes tend to break down in proximity. Welcome to We're Only Human, a podcast about human resources, business, technology, and the workplace. My name is Ben Eubanks, your host, and I'm so glad you're here. The illiterate of the 20th century will not be those they can't read or write. It will be those they can't learn, unlearn, and relearn. That's a pretty audacious quote, but it seems more true than ever. Today's interview with Shelley Osborne, author of The Upskilling Imperative. By the way, the link is in the show notes. You'll want to check that out. This is going to illustrate that all too well. Shelley is fun, energetic, and she's just plain smart. I know you're going to enjoy the discussion with her. I've actually had the pleasure in the last few weeks to be a guest on multiple podcasts, including Trend Breakers with Steve Watson, Be Customer Led with Bill Stakos, SHL's podcast to talk about AI and bias, and the Fuel X podcast by Fuel 50 to talk about things like talent mobility, talent marketplaces, and how to leverage the people inside the business. Those conversations were some deep dives into our research over the last year or two, and I love an opportunity to talk about and tell a good story, which you know, if you've listened for longer than five seconds to We're Only Human, you know, that's the thing that I appreciate. Speaking of appreciation, Lisa, Maria, Steve, Dominique, you've all said nice things this past week about the show to friends, colleagues, social media. You've shared with the show, and I appreciate each of you. If you're a listener and you enjoy the conversations here, you enjoy the content, please share it with a friend. You'll make them smarter, and they will appreciate you for it. Maybe not today, but long term. They'll appreciate you for it. Don't you worry. Now, let's get on to our interview with Shelly Osborne. On with the show. Hey, everyone. This is Ben Eubanks, host of We're Only Human. Glad to have you here and glad to welcome back a guest that, goodness, had a couple of years back, actually. Um, I don't do a lot of repeat guests, and so this is a special honor, and I'm so glad to have Shelly Osborne from Udemy back with me. Welcome, Shelly. Thank you so much for having me again. I'm thrilled to be here, so I appreciate it. Yes, ma'am. Well, I was making a joke with you before we started recording that the audience doesn't know, even if they've been listening for a long time, but the episode that we did last time, we had some fun audio issues, everything else. The episode ended up coming out amazing. You sounded tremendous, but I was kidding with you. That was the hardest one I ever had to edit. And so <laughs> today you've already promised me that we're not going to have that. So I'm excited <laughs> to create a great experience for the audience. I remember that fondly. I thought that was, it was a bit of a, an issue. We just kept losing audio and I was so frustrated for me and for you. So I appreciate, I appreciate you having me back and I hope we have nothing like that happen today. Absolutely. So for those of us, for those in the audience that don't know you, Shelly, tell us a little about who you are and what you do. Yeah, I'm the VP of learning at an amazing company called Udemy. And it's an incredible role because I lead learning at a company that is on a mission to improve lives through learning. So I get to do all sorts of fun things, but I have a team focused on learning and development within the organization. We focus on product innovation and learning, uh, creating content for the platform. There's, there's just lots of fun we get to have. And on top of that, you get to add another feather to your cap because 
one of the big reasons we're talking, not just because you're amazing and because I, I love any chance to talk to you, but because you just came out with a new book called The Upskilling Imperative, Five Ways to Make Learning Core to the Way We Work. And I want to congratulate you on that. That's a tremendous accomplishment. Thank you. I did. It's really, really exciting. It's been a dream of mine to write a book and this particular topic is near and dear to my heart. It's all about creating learning cultures within organizations and, and who gets to do that and how we do that. So it's been, it's been pretty exciting, daunting too. It's, it's, uh, it's a scary thing, putting your heart and soul into a book and, and putting it out into the world. So I'm thrilled to be chatting with you about it today. One of the funny thoughts that I had in my head, and I don't, you can tell me if this is totally <laughs> off the mark or like spot on, but one of the funny thoughts I had in my head when I sent my manuscript in a couple of years ago, I had this weird thought like by the time they eventually publish this thing, no one's going to care about the topic anymore. Or it's going to be like dated or it's going to know like we'll have moved on. Did you have that thought at all? Because upskilling again, it's like a, the hot topic right now, but uh, did you feel like that or was it, was that totally off the mark? Well, yeah. I mean, I worried about a lot of things because <laughs> I didn't want to finish it. It was really difficult to sort of put the pin in it and say, this is done or these are the ideas exactly as I want to present them. That's kind of a really difficult point in the in the process of writing a book to hit but I definitely thought like oh what if I'm going to miss a a part of the conversation what happens if after we've submitted it there's something really really relevant uh, so yeah I had that those exact same feelings and then it's also just this moment of oh right people are reading it now like it's out in the world and you kind of you spend all this time writing it and thinking about people reading it and then when it comes to fruition it's it's a pretty wild experience uh, that is awesome. I'm so glad to hear that. And I just, I would totally agree with that as well. So enough about the meta conversation of book writing, because I'm always interested in that. And I could go on for a long time about it. Let's talk about why this book, again, the title's Upskilling Imperative. Why this book? Why now? Well, the book is really about capturing my perspective on the world and the future of work. And to me, just hands down, learning is the future of work. That's just put a period on that. That's how I feel about this, um, this moment we're in where we're thinking about what's it going to look like in 5, 10, 15, 20 years. It's going to be captured by learning. We've entered this era where there's continuous rapid change. It just keeps coming for us, right? Like every day I feel like we're faced with a new change. And the only way that we can sort of ride those changes or exist within them or rise to them is through learning and continuous learning. I've heard someone say that as fast as things seem today, in the future, we will look back and say, you know, look how slow it was at this, yeah. at this modern time. And it, it seems funny to say that, but you think, think about when you were a kid, when I was a kid, you know, when our parents were kids, it, everybody can say that at all times in history. It seems like things just can keep speeding up and who knows how much more we can take of that. I don't know. Probably a podcast for another day, but mm -hmm. I'd love to, to dig into this a little bit because one of the things, so you talked about change and, and what this is going to look like in the future. One of the things that I keep, I come back to often is I loved hearing some of your history, your background in the teaching space. Cause my wife's a teacher for 10 years. So I have a lot of love for those people that, that are doing that, especially right now. Uh, I am the unofficial uh, <laughs> virtual school science and math teacher at my house. Amazing. And so yeah. <laughs> everybody's getting a little taste of that. So teaching in that, that classroom setting is seen as you know, antiquated. It's old. It's, it's not modern, but many companies for better, or for worse, have used that kind of classroom style instructor led person in front of a room. That is their standard approach. Any, any ideas on why that's our default? Why do we, why do we go in that direction? Whether, whether it's successful or not, we always tend to err on that side. 
I think that people get stuck in a mode of, of things that they've experienced and, and a lot of, a lot of education still actually exists that way, right? Like I, as a classroom teacher, um, we were still stuck in that sort of classroom model. There's a bunch of kids who are sitting there in front of a teacher, the teacher's giving instruction and they're supposed to just absorb it. And, and we're moving and we're evolving for sure. And there's tons of amazing classroom teachers out there who are, are looking at different ways to approach education and doing flipped classrooms or creating really project-based learning or constructivist models that are really exciting. But that's, that's evolutionary and that's happening. It's not done. We're not there everywhere. And I think that we fall back on these old paradigms, these old concepts of how education happens because it seems like it's effective. It seems easy to do and it's a known. They, we know kind of how to do that. Whether or not it's working is the question. And that traditional learning really just isn't built for a world that we live in anymore. It might have worked at one point. I don't really know that it did. I don't think it did. But we're, we're sort of falling back on those traditional approaches and, and we're expecting that that'll just keep going. We have to evolve that because they're not engaging. They're not actually effective and they don't fit into the way we work today. That's just not how we engage in our, our work environment. And it also just doesn't keep up with, as you mentioned, that ridiculous, rapid, insane pace of change. If every time we need to learn something new, we have to run off to, I don't know, a workshop in a month from now for half a day, that doesn't fit. That doesn't work. That doesn't solve, solve the, the problem or, or really help us achieve that opportunity. Think about think about it in that context. If every time you run across the thing you have to learn, you have to schedule something out in the future, you'd never, you never do anything else, but start scheduling oh. times to learn because it's, it's not a, it's not like it's okay. I've done that one thing and now I've learned everything I need to know and I'm done. It's oh, one exactly. down, now another one, now another one, it keeps going. It's, it's, I'm, I'm paralleling that in my head to those <laughs> in the HR audience. Like I'm going to try to write a policy for every possible dumb thing that somebody might do and try to try to outline all those you'll never finish you'll there's always something else to write a policy on and in this case right there's always something else you can try to force people to learn in that structured setting without giving them any control over over the whole the whole process and that's a that's a pain point we could i I love that i love you framing it as for every dumb thing that's gonna happen but no i agree we really need to put learning into the flow of work and and the analogy i really like to to share here is it's kind of like kitchen design and, and go with me for a minute. I know this is going to seem weird, but there's a principle in architecture that when you design your kitchen, it should be in this perfect pyramid or this triangle where the workspace, the, the cook space and, and your, your refrigerator are all in this perfect triangle that you can achieve or reach everything easily. It's, it's everything is right at your fingertips. And that's how learning has to be. It shouldn't be something that we have to think really hard about finding. It shouldn't be something that's difficult to access. It should be at that drawer that you're used to pulling. You don't even have to look where it is in your kitchen. That's where learning should be. It should be that easy to access. I'm going to call that the principle of culinary harmony until I find out what that's actually called because that sounds... (laughs) That sounds really cool. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I think it actually is just called the pyramid or the triangle, the kitchen, I, I think, but I'm not an architect, so I won't claim it. <laughs> I'm not an architect either, but I can come up with some, some snappy names at a, on a, at a moment's notice, as we can tell here. So one of the things in the book that you talked about was the importance of feedback, using that as a tool, as a mechanism, and 
put on my devil's advocate hat for a second here, you're, you're approaching this from a learning perspective. A lot of companies would say, yeah, but feedback is more of a talent thing, right? That's more of, a, of an HR thing, handling feedback and recognition or critical feedback, not a learning piece of that. Why should learning leaders dive into this, you know, get their hands dirty, use feedback as a tool? Oh, well, I feel really passionately about this, so be careful we don't spend an hour on it, but... <laughs> For me, feedback is the key, the key to unlocking growth in an organization, because it really is where we find out about our development opportunities. It's where we, we find out what our blind spots are. It's where we, we learn about something we could improve on even more or, or just do something differently. It's not always just about improvement. And I believe it fundamentally that feedback is the core of learning and development, because if we don't access that, we're kind of stuck in our own echo chamber. Hmm. You know, what's interesting is I haven't thought about this until you started laying some of those things out about the development aspects of that and, and so on. But the, uh, the team at um, CLO magazine, they did some research on and asked CLOs what their, what is the number one thing that your performance is rated on? How do people look at your performance inside the organization? And their response was engagement, which in the, at the moment I was like, that's kind of a hard thing, right? For a CLO to be, to have engagement as a, a label on your performance, because there's a lot of things that factor into that. Yes. But in this sort of context, if, it, if we can wrap that into this conversation around getting feedback, enabling people to pursue, no one comes to work saying, I hope I'm terrible today. They all <laughs> come hoping to perform. And sometimes they need some help with that. They need the feedback. They need the development. They need the growth. They need the opportunities to, to better themselves. And I'm seeing, a, I need to think more on that, let that ruminate a little bit. But I think there's probably a way to bring those things together so that they can have a bigger impact there if we wrap in this whole feedback conversation and make that a part of how they're making that happen. Well, absolutely. I mean, when I think about engagement or even engagement surveys, I see them as a feedback loop, right? They are, you know, I run our engagement survey at, at our company and I see it as a way for us to, one way, one way of many for us to access feedback about the organization and how we're doing across many levels, not just for myself and my team, but for leaders across the board. And I just think that feedback is, and, and really healthy successful feedback loops, lots of them. You, you can't just have one. It shouldn't just be, say, a performance review cycle. It shouldn't just be an engagement survey. I'm really passionate about creating lots of different ways for feedback to flow in an organization because uh, I think that helps everybody, whether you're talking about that C-suite or whether you're talking about individual contributors or leaders, it gives them that information, that 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 access point. And I like to call it fuel. I, that chapter in the book is, is all about making feedback fuel because there's this old adage that feedback's a gift. And frankly, I hate that. I really do because gifts are something that are sure nice to have. I love getting gifts on my birthday for the holidays, but I can live without that. Feedback is fuel. It is like the air we breathe. It's the food we eat. It's, it's water. It's the things we need just to grow and develop. There's a Adam Grant does a lot does a lot of talking about feedback as a gift, and he's like, if you if you think your feedback is a gift, go and give it to someone and smile really big when you're telling them how bad they did, and see how see how well that result you know resonates with them. And that's the first thing I'm thinking in my head when you're talking about the, the gift piece of that. Um, I want to segue just a little bit from this this talk this talk about feedback because feedback yeah. that we get in the organization 
if I'm getting feedback on my work or you're getting feedback on yours, that often comes from the people who we're working for, right? The manager is mm -hmm. one of their key things they have to do is, is to, to give feedback. So this may be a softball, I don't know, to transition to this, but what role do managers play in this conversation around upskilling, learning, growth, development? What role do managers themselves play in that? Well, I mean, it is a bit of a softball, but I think it's a really important point to make. Everybody has to be a part of this. When I'm talking about building a culture of learning and, and that upskilling imperative, um, it's really critical for me to, to point out that this is something that's owned by everyone in the organization. And I know there's a lot of HR leaders who listen to your podcast, and, and I'm sure that when we're talking about things like engagement or you know, belonging or a culture of learning, all of these things, they can't be owned by one person or one team or one department. Learning, growth, development, that has to be co-owned across the organization. You need managers involved. You need individual contributors involved. Everybody plays a part in creating that culture. And I see my role and leaders in learning and, and leaders in HR, their role is to facilitate it and to nurture it and to continue the conversation and kind of push it. But they're not the ones who, who do all the work. It's you're, you're co-creating it with the organization. So I think it's managers are for sure pivotal, but I wouldn't even stop there. It's every single person, whether you hired them yesterday or they've been there for 10 years too. It's easy to think, it's easy to feel like if you are in the, in the HR, the L&D space, it's easy to feel like, well, this is mine, right? I should own this. But managers yeah. are the front line of identifying performance issues, performance gaps, opportunities to develop, or even, again, on the positive side, Shelly really is, is taking to this new, this new thing that I've had her working on. Let's find a way to really leverage that strength of her. She's excited about it. She can't mm -hmm. wait to tell me all about it. Let's find ways to get her even stronger in that so that you know, maybe she can become a leader in that area one day. Maybe we grow her into you know, the, the next, I'm, the word's failing me, like the next superhero in that area for our, for our <laughs> company, right? Let's find the, the next, next one to do that. And <laughs> it doesn't have to be some negative side. It can be on the positive side. I'm trying to illustrate that, that um, yeah. failing too in some ways, but highlighting that and the managers play a key role because they, if, if it's on learning to identify that for everybody in the business, oh my we're going to fail, right? We can't, we are gonna we cannot fail. do that. That is, it's just not possible and it's not scalable. And, you know, one of the things that I've really given up on in my role is this idea of, of like protecting it or owning it or having to create all the things. Um, you know, when I was a classroom teacher, I thought I had to, right? I, I thought I had to make all the stuff and I had to know more than the students. And that's not how I think about my role as a learning leader. I think of myself as, as the facilitator, the person who democratizes it, who really is just about opening the gates, amplifying the voices of people who are doing really great things around learning in the organization, scaling great efforts, um, which is a twist on it for sure. But you know, there's just no way we can keep up. There's no way we can know everything that everyone in the organization knows, right? We have to capture that and share it with others. That's, that's what I see my role as. Going back to the, the teaching, the teaching thing. Again, my, my wife was a teacher for 10 years. She's now home with the last two little ones and now four little awesome. ones while we're trying to get to virtual school. But um, <laughs> one of the, one of the things I saw that exact same thing in her for the first eight years, maybe. A long time it was I, this is all on me 
I can't, you know, I can't, I might ask one other teacher for their input, but mm -hmm. this is, I've got to create then based on their input. I can't ask them for, Hey, what'd you use for that? Can I copy that? Whatever else can I use that? And in the last two years or so, she went to a different school where she didn't have as many resources around her. And she really struggled and realized like, I'm going to snap. I can't do all this myself. So she started doing a lot of searching online and found some different websites where teachers can get resources. They can create resources for a buck. You can buy a lesson plan and stuff like that. And she, yes, that like changed. Like her uh, life. Pay teachers or something like yes. that. Teachers pay teachers. Yes, it's but a great that, website. But that changed her life because she realized like that's when that switch flipped for her. Yes. It's not all on my shoulders. I can leverage the great work of other people so I can focus on really understanding and caring for the students that need the most support in my class or making sure that those students who are excelling that they get challenged in a different kind of way because this this stuff I've got to lay out for them this you know, peanut butter spread approach in my classroom it's not going to yes. give them the challenge they need to succeed long term and yeah. when she let go of that it allowed her to be a better teacher and that was so much fun to watch because i'm over i'm not allowed to say anything right it's her job i'm, I'm just the, the nerd the nerd husband who who looks at learning in hr and i'm thinking back in my head please find this out and she does and it was amazing and i'm just like oh that's that's great well it's well done, freedom <laughs> it is freedom and it and we have to do that in hr and lnd too like the, it's it's we're on the cusp of that and the more we do it the more we sort of recognize those moments where something great is happening in the organization and and that's good. You know, I, I have a chapter in the book where I talk about um, really maintaining and, and keeping a thriving learning culture. You know, you have a learning culture when you've got like people across the organization putting together their own learning experiences and, and doing things that you thought were like, oh, I thought that was our job to do. That's, that's amazing. But what you have to do with that is amplify it. You have to bring it to other pockets of the organization, use those individuals. And it's just powerful stuff when, when we pivot our perspective on it. You know, I, at Udemy, anyone can create a course on, on anything within, within the company and share it with people. And I want people to do that. I want them to, to share knowledge because it's wasted when it isn't shared. That's the gift. That's the gift we can share. Yeah, that's Freely. the gift. Freely. <laughs> you hold your feedback. I'll just share your knowledge. We'll take that. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so if you were going to boil this down, this entire tremendous book, if you were going to boil it down to one sentence or one big takeaway, which again, you spend a lot of time writing, so it's going to be hard to do that probably, but what's the one big thing you want someone to get away with, come away with after they read this? Gosh, the one sentence, oh, one idea. I mean, I think it, it does come down to learning is the future of work for me. Um, it, I, that just ties to everything. And there's no way we're going to be able to, to, to continue in our roles, to, to really develop in our roles. If we don't, if we don't see ourselves as learners, I actually think that in some ways I wish people thought of their jobs as learners first versus the profession they describe themselves as, you know, like people say, Oh, I'm, I'm an HR BP. I'm a learner and an HR BP would be a better framing for me because we're only an HRBP for as long as we are. And then we, we transition into a new role. We learn something new. We develop something new. So I, I think that's kind of my big takeaway. And, and when, when I wrote the book, I wanted to give leaders and organizations a bit of a roadmap to create that kind of culture where people see themselves as learners, where learning is happening all the time, where we cultivate that experience and, and create the conditions where it can happen. I love that. 
when someone asked me to boil boil mine down, I'm like, yeah, good luck. I'll, I'll try. <laughs> I mean, I did my best there. I'm, I, I'm that was, sure. That was I tremendous. Agree. That was that was that was exactly what I hoped for. It's always <laughs> funny though. You're like, I, if I had if it was one idea, I wouldn't have wasted my time writing. You know, <laughs> worth of stuff. It was it's a lot more than that. But yeah, there's picture, like there's like nine chapters. Come on. <laughs> it all rolls up into that though. That's the that's the big picture focus, and that's awesome. Um, what I was going to tell you, I was going to quote you back at yourself because I love doing that to people. One of the one of the lines in there was, "You are responsible for the energy in the room as a learning leader." And today in the conversation, you have brought the energy. This has been so much fun. If someone wants to learn more, wants to get the book, wants to find out more about the amazing Shelley, what's the best way to do that? So we have a website, theupskillingimperative.com. Um, and then the book is available on Amazon. So uh, feel free to check it out there. And I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. I love connecting with other learning and HR leaders. So um, I'm always excited to engage in conversations there. It's, it's kind of, it's, it's one of my favorite things to do, actually, just find other people who are passionate about this kind of stuff and share. I think it's, it's coming from those teaching days where I, I feel like I want to learn from others and connect more with others. So LinkedIn, Amazon, and uh, the upskillingimperative.com website. Wonderful. Shelly, you've been tremendous. I really appreciate your time today. I appreciate your, your energy, your insights. The book is The Upskilling Imperative, and I would recommend anybody check it out. Thank you for spending some time with us. Thank you so much for having me. This was a, such a fun conversation. And I think we did okay with no audio issues today. Hey, so. look at that. Look at that. The I'll curse you, is broken. <laughs> yes, the, the curse is broken. <laughs> I love that. Okay, awesome. Thank you again. You've, this has been so much fun. To everyone else, thank you for joining us on We're Only Human today. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Check the book out. Highly encourage you to read it. I've been enjoying it myself here, here, uh, here at home uh, in the virtual school land. So the rest of you, thank you for joining us. We'll catch you next time on We're Only Human. Thank you so much for joining me on the show today. I'm honored to have you as a listener. If you enjoyed this episode, please take 10 seconds to rate it at iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Also, if you know a friend that could benefit from today's conversation, please pass it their way. After all, a rising tide lifts all ships. To see show notes, sponsor information, and our full show archives, visit OnlyHumanShow.com.